Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a an entrepreneur that, you know, it's a it's incredible the journey and, and all the different hats and and how incredible of a career he's had. You know, like before even becoming an entrepreneur and launching, you know, his own thing that he has built, scale, finance, you name it. I think we're gonna learn a lot and you're gonna find really interesting his story. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Andre Cherney. Welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So born and raised in L.A. So how was life growing up there? Well, you know, my, my parents were, were recent immigrants uh, when, I, when I was born. And so uh, my experience was probably a lot like a lot of other recent immigrants. Um, you know, a family that um, had its share of, of economic struggles, uh, but one that really valued uh, education and uh, and instilled in that that in me uh, early on and you know a childhood where I where I really uh, dreamed about all the all the things that uh, that might be ahead uh, with uh, uh, with the opportunities that were that were afforded to me so so obviously your your parents coming from from the Czech Republic I mean they they came here and and they had to to really find their own way and to make it happen for themselves and and I'm sure that that drive uh, and that spirit influenced who you are today. Is that right? I think so. Look, I, I think it's no accident that so many great companies uh, are led by and founded by immigrants or children of immigrants, um, and uh, there is that that drive to to achieve something. But I think also a, a profound sense of gratitude to America and a desire to give back and to, and to create something that is of, of lasting good. Absolutely. And, and in your case, I mean, I'm sure that, uh, that your parents are very proud because you actually went to some of the best universities in the U.S. Now, one thing that is interesting is that you definitely combined a little bit of everything. You know, from Harvard to Berkeley, doing the JD. So why why doing your JD? I mean, what what got you into into perhaps you know thinking about maybe becoming a lawyer one day? You know, I so I right after Harvard, I got a, a pretty amazing opportunity and, and went to go work in the in the White House uh, for for President Clinton and and for Vice President Gore and and um, 
got to work with them on on the important initiatives being being done um, at that point and back in the 1990s, uh, and then left to go help run uh, Al Gore's um, policy planning thinking as he was getting ready to run for president. But really decided that I wanted to be able to do um, to forge my own way and and always uh, had an interest in in the law, especially in how the law could be used to uh, advance uh, the interests of people who, who needed uh, its protections. And so uh, went to law school with with that in mind. I did a whole bunch of other things while I was in, in law school as well. I uh, was involved in some of the tech companies uh, back in, in, in that time in, in the in the Bay Area, uh, wrote a book then, and then and then went back uh, during the 2000 campaign to run um, Al Gore's policy planning, uh, policy platform uh, operation uh, for that campaign. So here, I mean, with 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 Al Gore, I mean, you started, you know, really uh, helping him as well with the with the speeches. Uh, also, you were alluding to it. I mean, you you're an author as well. Uh, so what have you learned about? the power of words, the power of speech, the power of storytelling, because I'm sure that that has come in handy while you're now an entrepreneur. I think it does. Look, I, I think it, it, it really is the power of, of being able to uh, make uh, an argument that changes how people think about the world. Uh, you know, to not get ahead of ourselves, that's a lot of what we're having to do at Aspiration is, is to change how people think about their bank account and their financial life and connecting the dots between how they spend money and how they save money and, 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 and issues like climate change and issues uh, like inequality in our country and, and, and their understanding of, of how to put those things together. And that's uh, probably some of the, the skills way back in, uh, in the back of my mind that, uh, that I developed uh, 20 plus years ago. So how do you go from really looking into into politics and into writing to to going after people that are committing fraud. You know, I, well, I, I, after Vice President Gore, of course, lost, and and then I continued to be involved in uh, in, pol- in in public policy and 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 politics and government. Um, started uh, uh, a think tank in, in Washington D.C. and journal called Democracy Journal. That's still still active. One of the things we did. Right off the bat, was we partnered with with then law professor Elizabeth Warren on on the idea for what became the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. But you know, I, I, at a certain point, really started to get in some ways burned out on on dealing with issues at the kind of level of public policy and abstraction that was at that fifty thousand foot level, and 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 felt like I wanted to make a more direct impact. And so I as you said, went to go work as a, as a financial fraud prosecutor, very much on the ground level in court every day, but feeling that I could really um, help individuals who were victims of, of fraud, victims of, uh, of malfeasance, and, and bring some justice uh, to them. And then after this, you started consulting with the big banks, and, and I think that that was a, a really nice segue into, into really launching your own baby. Your 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 own company. So tell us about what happened there. You know how you came up with the idea as well, and how you went about bringing it to life. Well, you know, I um, did did as you said, make another career shift, and was doing strategic consulting for 
uh, we're, we're a big firm and, and our clients were, were all sorts of big companies, uh, some tech and, and others, uh, but ended up spending most of my time um, doing consulting with, with large, large banks uh, and, and really saw there that at the core of some of their challenges uh, and their business uh, issues that we were working on and trying to help them with was a fundamental mistrust that their customers had for their own financial institution. And, and it was really no accident. Uh, it wasn't really a, just a product of some bad headlines, but it was a, a misalignment of interests. For, for most people in the United States, the worse they're doing financially, the better their bank is doing. Banks get paid on overdraft fees and late fees and service fees. That's how they make money, really, on, on the great majority of, of their customers. And also a misalignment of values. And, and more and more people were, were conscious consumers, were thinking about uh, what was important to them when it came to ethics and environmental sustainability uh, in their daily lives in the grocery store or coffee shop or buying clothes or whatever else it may be. And yet what their money was doing to our community and to the world uh, when it was being deposited in those big banks was often antithetical to their own values. And at Aspiration, my co-founder and I and, and our team early on really believed that we were solving for trust and that if we could create an alignment of, of interests and incentives, we could create alignment of values, we could have a radically transformed experience when it came to delivering all kinds of financial services to customers who are looking for something very different than they were getting from the incumbents in the space. So then talk to us about putting together the, the dream team to really execute this. I, we've, we've been blessed to have really great people uh, at Aspiration. And I'd say one of the lessons is, uh, you know, the dream team is different at different points in the company. Uh, and the people who are excited about working uh, and successful at working in a company that has five people uh, will be different than the people who maybe are the right people for 50 people, and, and maybe it'll be a different set of people for at 150 people. And and I think that's been something that we've found along the way, uh, that we're um, constantly uh, looking to think, uh, how can we get the best talent and leadership for where the company is today, and more importantly, where it's going to be tomorrow? Absolutely, because obviously in many instances, and I'm glad that, that you that you mentioned this because in many instances, you know, obviously the company goes from cycle to cycle and, and is either different skill sets that are needed or in many cases as well that the company unfortunately uh, outpaces, you know, uh, the, perhaps the early employees that you have. It's, look, it's, it's part of a startup, as, as, as you know better than, than, than most, is, uh, is about rapid change uh, and rapid growth. And, um, and each person has to change and grow with that. And, and, and that rapidity means that uh, there's going to be some people who uh, are excited about a, a certain set of tasks and way of doing work that, that maybe are, are not uh, feeling that same way when, when you're maybe just months or, or even years later in a very different place. So talk to us about the business model of Aspiration. What ended up being the business model here? 
So Aspiration, what we've really done is created the category of socially conscious, sustainable retail banking. Uh, we're not going after predominantly your traditional financial optimizers, the people who are out there hunting for the highest interest rate or the lowest fees or, or whatnot. We are, as I said before, going after these conscious consumers who are bringing their values they're concerned with issues like sustainability into all aspects of their lives, but haven't had that in their financial life. And so when customers come to Aspiration, they're coming because all of their deposits will be fossil fuel free and firearm free, uh, as opposed to what their deposits are doing when they're being deposited at any of the big banks in our country. Uh, we have something called the Aspiration Impact Measurement that shows them their own personal sustainability score as they're spending on their Aspiration card. And so they can see how they're doing. They can see the people and planet scores of the different places they're shopping. And so they can make spending decisions with those kinds of variables in mind. Do they want to go to CVS or Walgreens or Dwayne Reed or Rite Aid? And if they have a choice, how, how do those different businesses do when it comes to the environment? How do they do when it comes to their employees? You know, it's interesting because I'm just wondering, like, you mentioned they're a conscious consumer. Do you think that they, that that's a someone is brought up, you know, to really develop that type of consciousness and, and way of thinking, or, or that's developed as you're seeing what's happening in the world? I think it's a little bit of both. I, look, I, I think that um, there is, of, of course, the nature and, and nurture, and some of us in our, in our families are brought up to look at it that way, and some people are brought up with very different values and, and later in their life uh, change. But I think what we've seen is a generational shift uh, and so certainly when you look at the attitudes, um, baby boomers are, are more in this than, um, than greatest generation, Gen Xers more than baby boomers, millennials more than Gen X, Gen Z more than millennials. Each, each new cohort coming in is building more and more of these kinds of concerns into their daily lives as consumers across the board. And so there's part of that generational shift. And I think we also, wherever we are, I think more and more of us are thinking about those things as the world changes in front of our eyes. And, and you see that with well, all kinds of different dimensions. You see that with, with ESG investing. ESG investing, investing in sustainability strategies around environmental, um, social, and governance practices of the companies. Uh, you've seen that explode. Uh, it, it, it went from very, very little 10 years ago to uh, over uh, 6 to $8 billion a year of inflows uh, over the past few years. Last year, 2019, it grew to $21 billion of inflows. This year, 2020, in the first six months of the year, there was over $21 billion of inflows. So there's an enormous shift there. You're seeing that with plant-based meats. Uh, Beyond Mead and, and others there. You're seeing that with companies like Tesla and, and, and others in the electrical vehicle space. You're seeing that in fashion. You're seeing that in people moving from plastic straws to paper straws or metal straws. All across our lives, we're seeing this different kind of approach. And yet, other than aspiration, financial services has really, daily financial services, banking, checking, savings, those kinds of daily core accounts uh, have not responded to that. And so that's fundamentally, I can talk about all the different features we offer at Aspiration, but fundamentally, that's what customers are coming to Aspiration to get. And I'm sure that to finance an operation like this, you need some money. So how much <laughs> capital have you guys raised to date? Well, we've raised to date uh, over $200 million. And um, 
And with that, we've built uh, a, a, a large customer following and a team and, and the infrastructure to be able to have our own independent operations. We became the first neobank in the United States to break off of a third-party bank sponsor and go independent uh, in 2018, 2019. A real investment of time and money and resources for us, but it means that that we, uh, in a relatively unique way, own our customers' accounts from a legal and regulatory standpoint, and and we own the economics around those accounts, and and that and that really mattered as we look towards the future and, and are scaling this into something that we think can be uh, one of the preeminent uh, consumer financial institutions in our country. Got it. I mean, obviously, over $200 million is is quite a bit of money. I mean, where would you say that that are like the perhaps the biggest needs on, on a business like this from a capital perspective? You know, really, for us, uh, the chief uh, areas have been around uh, acquisition, um, and, and that's been been number one, and then and then number two has been around uh, our our team and 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 building out uh, building out our um, our employee base. Absolutely. So I guess, uh, how just just out of curiosity, how many employees do you guys have now? We have about one hundred and seventy five currently. And how would you say, because obviously this is the first rodeo, but how would you say, Andre, that you've been able to develop yourself too? Because, I mean, we were we were talking about like how companies go from cycle to cycle. So how were you able yourself to jump from cycle to cycle as a leader and being able to keep up with the growth of the business as well? Yeah, I think I think I've had to change in, in how I do things. And I think I've sometimes been more or less successful in, in the moment about, about keeping pace. And sometimes I'm... I'm lagging uh, behind where where things need to be, but and sometimes I, I feel like I'm 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 keeping up with that. But uh, but you're absolutely right. Uh, as I was saying before, in talking about our entire team, uh, it is rapid change, and so just as it's true for anybody on our team, it's true for the CEO as well. Either you either you keep pace of that change and you grow uh, in your skill set and your way of doing things, or or you're holding back the company. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say uh, you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world, Andre, five years later. I mean, tremendous news. You wake up in a world where the vision of aspiration is fully realized. What does that world look like? I'll answer it a couple of ways. Um, I think for aspiration itself, it means we're, you know, we have about 2 million customers now. We're, we're, we're many, many times larger than that. And offering not just banking and uh, and those core products and investing and retirement and insurance as we do now, but really being a full scale financial home for our customers and uh, allowing them to match their money with their morals and uh, and and even beyond those financial products, being a platform for sustainable spending across the board and 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 being that home for people. Who, that roughly the third of the U.S. population who is conscious consumers being a, a home for, for many, many of them uh, as they look out at the world. And so that's uh, a, a big part of Aspiration's future. And, 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 tra- and of course, that translates into a company of, of enormous uh, enterprise value. But frankly, when I think about that future, uh, I judge our success not as much by all these factors I laid out, but, but a couple other factors. One is has our success reached that level 
that we've exerted a gravitational pull on the rest of the financial industry and forced them to change the way that they do business because people's expectations of what they look for in their bank account, in terms of the behavior of their financial partner, in terms of the kinds of products that they are getting from their, uh, from their bank account, has changed that dramatically. And two, because of what we've done, as well as this larger change, we have had a dramatic impact on, uh, on our environment, on our planet, on many of the challenges facing our community. Uh, with Aspiration, as I said, you get your deposits fossil fuel free. We help you make all of your driving carbon neutral. We allow you to plant a tree with every purchase that you make by rounding up your purchases to the nearest dollar. And collectively, just by moving their money to Aspiration, our customers have done the equivalent of taking 5 billion miles of cars off of the roads in, in the United States of America. When you look at something like our tree planting initiative, Plant Your Change, we just launched it earlier this year, within the first few weeks, we, we planted over a million trees. That has the carbon impact of taking one car off the road for every household in Atlanta or Kansas City. That was just in the first few weeks. We're now in the many millions of trees and, and growing dramatically. We're going to be planting hundreds of millions into the billions of trees uh, as we continue to grow uh, and scale. And that has a dramatic impact on our, on our climate as well. And so fundamentally, what we want to do at Aspiration is be true to our mission. That's do well and do good. And doing well means we've improved the financial lives of millions of customers. And do good is by helping them automate their impact, we have made the world a fundamentally better place and move the needle on challenges like climate change or, or many of the other challenges we face uh, in, in our country and, and, and around the globe. And where do you think that your space as a whole is heading? I think it's a it's a you know it's a fascinating space. So if, if you think of our space, we, we think of our space of our space in two ways. One is this is world of sustainable spending, and two is this world of of neobanks and financial services. When you talk about neobanks and financial services, we're in a dramatically different world. Different technology allows you to do different things, and 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 fintech ultimately, I believe the promise there is not ultimately just about faster payments or lower fees or, or anything else like that, all of which are, are important. It's really about, in some ways, personalization. You know, if, if you started a bank, if we, let's say, wanted to start Aspiration 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you, you'd build a branch uh, in one neighborhood. And then if you were successful, you'd build a branch in the next neighborhood over. And maybe uh, as you grew the next city over and, and, and maybe eventually the next state or you, or you acquired a bank in in another part of your state or the next state, and that's how you build out a branch network. Well, right now on your phone, you can open an account just as easily at Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, Aspiration, uh, Revolut, N26, uh, Chime, or, or whoever else. And, and that means people aren't picking their bank based just on what branch is down the street. They're picking based on what brand is closest to them. And what resonates with them in terms of its offerings the, the, in, around what they're concerned about, how they look at the world. And, and that means that we can be able to focus in on, on a set of concerns and on a set of customers that is a, a, a very, very large number of customers uh, and really build something special for them uh, in a way that is very different than what financial institutions had to do a generation ago. 
And talking about financial institutions and the financial service space, I mean, it's definitely uh, a double beast because not only you are facing with the challenges of building and scaling, but then you're also facing the challenges of innovating in a heavy, heavily regulated uh, market. So, so how do you, you know, go about that too? Look, I think you, well, I'll, I'll back. I think different companies approach it different ways. Uh, you know, there is, there are some who are of the um, move fast and break things uh, mentality. And, um, and, and I, and I don't think that works in financial services. I, I, I think number one, you have, it's not the same as if your social media app goes down, uh, though we, we've seen even the power of social media apps uh, to, to change the direction of, of people's lives. But, but when you have somebody's money, when you have their ability to pay their bills and, and their future and their family's future, uh, you have to have a different standard of care. And to your point, it is also a highly regulated space. And so I don't think you can see regulation as the extent to which you're going to adopt it or work with it or or, or so on. It, it's the reality. Uh, there's a there's an old joke about you know a fish swimming by and 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 somebody calls down to to him uh, and says what what do you think of the water and the fish says what what's water um, you know th- that's that's the world that 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 fish is living in. When you're financial services, the world you're living in is regulation, and and that's just the, the the nature of 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 everything around you, and 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 you need to build in a way that understands that, while also helping the regulatory process advance and change as technology is changing the terms of 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 the debate. Very cool. So obviously, one of the questions that I asked the the guests that come on the show is. I mean, now you've been at it for, for a while. I mean, we're talking that you guys got started with Aspiration in 2013. So, you know, I'm sure that you've been able to learn a lot, you know, a lot of successes, a lot of learnings, you know, along the way. But if you had the chance to go back in time and give that younger Andre a piece of advice, you know, before launching a business, what would that be and why knowing what you know now? I think it would be to think bigger. You know, we we started Aspiration thinking we were going to uh, start out by offering people uh, ancillary products what they already had, uh, bank accounts, but a but a separate account they could use for savings uh, that was fossil fuel free, um, investment products, but 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 maybe not their core investment product, but something that would be uh, an added set of of strategies that they, that they may not have otherwise have access to. And what we found is our customers were were asking us. They say that's that's great. Uh, I, I want to do everything with Aspiration, and and I think going back, uh, we could have been more prepared in those early days to say this is actually going to be what our vision is now of Aspiration, that financial home uh, for uh, for Americans who care about uh, their values and care about. Uh, doing good uh, while they're doing well, and, and so that that probably would be the the advice I'd give. Amazing. So I guess uh, for the folks that are listening, Andre, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Would love it if they did. Uh, well, first of all, uh, on social media, I'm, I'm at Andre Cherney, uh, so on Twitter or, or Instagram, and uh, and would encourage them to go to Aspiration.com and sign up for 
uh, for an account and 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 move their money, I, I they'll be getting a much better financial product, and they'll be doing a lot of good uh, in the world with every dollar that they deposit with aspiration and, and spend with aspiration, uh, and making a real positive impact. and uh, And would love to know what they think. Amazing. Well, Andre, thank you so much for being on the Deal Maker Show today. Thank you. Thanks for having. Me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.